Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf, and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. Thanks so much for tuning in to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Vicki Swinbank about women's food matters. Thank, yeah, thanks, Beth. Yes, um, please, um, thank you for inviting me. I'm, you know, very oh, no, it's great, great, great to have you here. What led you to write this book and what was the significance of the title? Right. Well, first of all, the title um, has a, a sort of a, a double meaning because it's obviously women's food is important, matters, right? And the second meaning is, so therefore it's, uh, what would you call it, um, an adverb, I suppose? I don't know. And women's food matters is a noun. So it's about women's food matters. Do you see what I mean? So it's got a double meaning. And, um, and, uh, and the subtitle is Stirring the Pot which I think is, uh, you know, I hope to stir the pot of, um, of, of, of uh, food scholarship a bit, you know, with, a fe- with my feminist or radical feminist analysis. And, in fact, that was going to be the original title, but the Palgrave um, publishers wanted me to put Women's Food Matters first. Because I can, and I can see why, because it, uh, it, it, it gets people's attention, you know, um, Women's Food Matters rather than stirring the pot. And also, it's, but there's a wonderful cover which you can't see, but it's actually of a of an elderly woman in a sort of looks like a vineyard or somewhere, presumably Italian, bending over a pot of polenta, stirring it. So I think I'm, I'm thrilled, really delighted with it, you know. <laughs> but uh, so so and so that's the title. Now, what led me to write the book was, well, it was a long gestation, very long. Um, I completed a PhD at Melbourne Uni in 2008, and the title of that was, I forget now, <laughs> A Radical Feminist Analysis of Women's Role in Food Production, Preparation and Consumption. And back then, I had hoped to sort of get it published, but I sent it off to one publisher without success, and I just sort of thought, oh, I can't be, you know, so I basically put it to one side. I needed a long break from it, really, after plodding away at it for so long, and it went on the back burner for um, a number of years, but I was always at the back of my mind. Um, and so about probably about 2016, I suppose, I began to think about reworking it. And so I've spent the last, um, particularly from 17, 18, 19, and 20, so let's say three or four years, doing more research and reworking it. So it's based partly on my thesis, so, um, you know, a certain amount is. I've ditched a couple of chapters and included a couple of new ones and updated and, you know, and, and reworked other chapters. So that is, it's, um, and so I finished it just uh, early this year in, um, well, it was sent off to the publishers um, just before Christmas last year and was, out the process was pretty quick actually they were very good but I think at Palgrave and and I got it it was out in April this year published 
Um, and it's, um, unfortunately, it's rather expensive because it's an academic book. It's a hardcover. So it's aimed at universities, really. And, uh, but it will eventually be out in um, paperback, hopefully next year, but I don't know when, when it'll be more accessible you know, to the general public, because that's what I want. Obviously, I'm pleased to have it in universities and have you know, people who can afford to spend $120 <laughs> on it. But I really want it out there for general readership as well. Yeah, that's my main concern, actually, yeah. Especially as I'm not an academic myself, you know, I'm, I don't work in universities, and so my that wasn't my priority. Yeah, um, right. okay. no, that's, that's quite a good, that's quite a good idea. Uh, was it difficult for you to get the book published? Oh, Beth, where do I start? <laughs> this could take up quite a while. I'll, yes, in a word, it was. It went out to five reviewers in the end, which I think is I don't know that. Very unusual, I think. The 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 um, editor at Palgrave, who was based in London, um, she was obviously interested in it and sent it out to two reviewers. Took quite a while to come back. Uh, a few months. One of them was a mixed bag. It had some positive stuff, but also, you know, it was, it was also critical. Didn't it? Didn't sort of um, damn it, but it said that um, the book has considerable merit etc and it's well written but they and you know and it was also doing uh, you know what was a uh, an interesting subject and um but on the other hand they um it said that uh, it wasn't intersectional enough whatever that means in other words in my, my interpretation of that is that it wasn't written in a postmodern jargon which is in unintelligible as far as i'm concerned and has done a lot of damage in academia. But anyway, that's another, especially to feminist analysis. So it was basically critical of my uh, feminist analysis, really, I suppose, you know, my, radical, my radical feminist analysis, which is not, and one reason I think why it probably didn't get, I think it's, well, that's anyway, we won't go there, but it's another thing. So, and it was, um, but nevertheless, they thought it was, you know, um, probably worth considering, you know, reading out uh, and publishing, but didn't, the second one was absolutely damning. Uh, and honestly, it was so bad. And badly, uh, it was just appalling. It was, uh, it said that it was, it wasn't scientific or academic enough. I mean, it wasn't a scientific paper, for God's sake, you know. Criticised me for using, uh, uh, referencing cookbooks, etc., and food writers uh, rather than sort of scholarly works, as if those things don't matter. But of course, that what they were, they were mostly written by women, the cookbooks that I referenced. And of course, in this person's opinion, they would not have been important given their, uh, their hostility to my feminist politics. And it, uh, it, it actually, I'll just read a couple of quotes. I just, rereading it now, you know, years later, you know, a couple of years later, you know, because I just put it to one side and just, oh God, you know, don't want to see it again. But, um, I just it may be very angry rereading it just in the last few days. Um, it says the book uh, seems not to have the characteristics of, I've said that, of the scientific for academic publication. It doesn't have the characteristics of an original book because there is already a lot more recent scholarly literature on the topic, etc. Uh, it's, it's said it's the old, um, the eternal competition between men and women is rather old and no longer in, of interest to 
to the academic perspective. <laughs> I mean, as, as if, you know what I mean, it's more important than ever. But anyway, and finished off would, does it take the existing scholarship forward? I would say not at all. And can believe, listen, listen to this, this is the ultimate insult, given that it's based on my PhD, which was very well, you know, had a very good, you know, passed the examination very well. And it says, the quality of the scholarship is average to low <laughs> and would not recommend publication. Isn't that wonderful? It says, a critical and political insight of a proper feminist approach is totally lacking. Unbelievable, because no, that's fact, really you know, that's really awful, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes, 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 indeed. I, I was well, of course, I was very upset when I got that. And they, but the the, the um, Amelia at, at Palgrave clearly, she said she was very kind. And she said, "I hope you're not too disappointed with the reviews." And I was. Oh, my impulse was just to say, "Oh, well, forget it." But a friend, um, an academic friend, said, "No, no." Just sit on it for a bit and then respond in a measured way, which would have been <laughs> was going to be hard, but I forced myself to point by, you know, and I did do a, a measured response to the criticisms and sent them back to Amelia. And on that basis, she sent it out to a, 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 another round of reviewers, three of them this time, right? So when that came back, um, they came back fairly, prom fairly promptly. And two of them were really fantastic. I was absolutely thrilled. And the other one was like, a, the, the third one was almost like a carbon copy of the awful one, um, of the, uh, the, the one that was said it wasn't scholarly and was of a low standard, you know. So I won't even repeat what they said because it was so awful and so pathetic. You know, we reject the proposal that ended up saying, you know. And I, oh, I was accused of romanticising women's relationship to food. And, Oh, yeah, and, and there's a lot of generalising statements about men and women as, as though they are fixed groups. You know, apparently, I, you know, not referred, to, you know, that I hadn't been intersectional enough, whatever that, you know, hadn't re I referred, oh, I hadn't uh, analysed uh, issues on the basis of race, class and sexuality. For God's sake, it wasn't about that. You know, it was about women's, anyway, and incidentally, that was an unfair criticism because the other, the positive reviews, who said how wonderfully cross-cultural cross it was, you know, so <laughs> completely contradicted all the rubbish that the other person said. Uh, I hope I'm not taking too much time with this. I just think it's important because it's, because uh, um, it was a really hard process. Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay, the second round of reviews, sorry, I'm just about to turn it. The second round of reviews, which I received, so the first ones went out in, sort of April of that year, and the second ones um, came back, oh, and I received it in June, and this lot came back in October 2019. And, and, this, and I was so bowled over with excitement by the first one that said, this is an exciting proposal for a book. I'll just read a few, a few quotes. Um, as the, none of the um, existing literature takes the broad historical and anthropological perspective shown here, so on. Sorry, I'm trying to the writing is crystal clear. At least the other said the writing was, you know, intelligible. It, and what really um, pleased me was that, um, and it was a he actually, I was convinced it was a, a radical feminist who'd written because they were so enthusiastic about my analysis, my feminist analysis. It's, and it said even, uh, it said, it's, the writing is crystal clear. 
It is unusual these days to read a proposal for any work, for that matter, that is not mired in jargon. And by that I, I knew he meant postmodern, intelligible, most postmodern jargon. And said that uh, this is fully scholarly in contrast to those others, you know, and can be, but can also be aimed at a more general, non academic reading of you know, readers. It's, and he would use it as a required reading in his own courses on food and culture. Now, and so I, I didn't realize it was a he until I, um, anyway, that's a long story. But he, he quoted something which I think is really good. He said, and in one of my chapters, it builds to a key point that I think will be a revelation to me a revelation to many readers, quote, when women cook, they are part of slash carrying on an activity that innumerable generations of women before them, that is their female forebears, have carried out over many generations, centuries, millennia. Because women know this on some level, when they cook, it is not as if they have individually discovered cooking in the way that men who cook often assume, often assume. And he was really struck by that um, and so on. And so I was absolutely thrilled with that. And, um, and then the other one was also very positive um, from a, a woman. As I say, I thought it was, uh, I assumed it was from you know, a feminist because um, it was so positive about my politics. And it turns out when I did eventually ask for endorsements of my book, you know, when it was accepted, I asked for the the names of the two people who had given me positive reviews. And it was David Sutton, who is, um, that one came from um, a professor of anthropology at the University of um, Southern Illinois in the US. Um, and I knew, I knew his work very well because I had referenced him. He didn't know that because the two chapters that were sent out, he wasn't in those. But I used his work quite a lot in a couple of chapters and in fact it was, um, so, and his work, his area of interest is in specifically in women's cooking. And his, his research is um, largely carried out <clears throat> on the Greek island of Kalimnos on, what, on women's domestic cooking. And his interest is in uh, food and memory and specifically embodied memory. And it's how it's carried on intergenerationally. So he's really interested in what I was writing about. So I just was absolutely, when I heard it was him, I just oh, thought, fantastic, you know, so pleased. And then the second one, was, which was very positive too, and said, yes, this, this definitely is going to be a, a good addition to the Powerbrave Macmillan catalogue and recommended publication. She is um, from a Texas university, and I've also referenced her in one of my, but she didn't know that. So she, but she, um, but I knew it was her actually because she said my book might be helpful, <laughs> you know. But I already used her book um, quite a bit, and um, and so those. Two, on, but on the basis of those two, I, um, you know, I got the, uh, I got within a, a week, I got the um, a, a, um, a book proposal, you know, contract. So I was very pleased, obviously. Now, your analysis in the book is from a radical feminist standpoint. Can you elaborate on this and why do you think it's important? Well, um, yes, because, well, as a, well, the two things. Uh, my area, my interest, I mean, it stems from my two passions, you might say, um, feminist politics, specifically radical feminist politics, which goes back, I'm one of the, 1970s generation, you know, the so-called dinosaurs. <laughs> and I have, and 
and also um, a lifelong interest, well, yeah, lifelong interest in food and cooking, food issues and cooking. And um, so the two of them together, I felt for a long time, you know, going back 30 years really, that I wanted to do more work in that area. Uh, and I felt that there, well, I, that there wasn't, there was very little from a feminist angle, certainly from a radical feminist ang angle, really, very little indeed. And most of that did deal with women's uh, issues around food were to do with problems around food, such as eating disorders and, um, yeah, women's sort of negative relationship to food, really. And is a, and important as though that is, and extremely important, and I was familiar with, very familiar with the literature. I wanted to, to highlight the importance of women's um, historical and cross-cultural role in creating uh, food cultures, which are the basis, uh, you know, I argue in the book that women's historical role in, in, um, in both growing food, um, which they do traditionally in, and um, in certainly non-industrialised countries and, we, and used to in pre-industrial times, grow food and preparation forms the basis of um, the world's regional cuisines which isn't um, sufficiently recognised and, in fact, not you know, scarcely acknowledged, really, except by very few. And, and so that's really what I wanted to delve into and examine and also at the same time critique the fact that co women's cooking has been appropriated um, by, you know, by male chefs, especially in... Uh, cultures such as Western European cultures and others, perhaps, um, on uh, appropriated by professional male chefs, uh, over really going back, you know, to the Renaissance period, I suppose, and but with very little, with, with never any acknowledgement that the, the source of their, their their cooking idea, their cooking has come from women's domestic cooking, and also they always elaborate on them and claim them as their own in contrast to women's collective approach. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's, uh, that, you know, that's really, uh, yeah, well, I was, I suppose, the main impetus for writing the book, really, yes. So yeah. why did you see a need for this book? Oh, um, yeah, well, for the reasons I've just sort of, um, you know, outlined it, there wasn't a sufficient out there, or very little, in fact. I felt there was a, um, yeah, a gap, if you like, in the literature. And and also as a feminist, and I'm, I could answer, I was going to answer this later on, but I think I might as well refer to it now, that women, uh, feminists, traditionally, especially radical feminists back, going back to the 70s, had really encouraged women to ditch cooking because they saw it as a source of patriarchal oppression. And I, I, but I, and I can understand that, that women's, uh, compulsory role in, you know, having to look after families' um, nutritional needs and feeding and cooking or in addition to everything else. Uh, but why do they focus on the kitchen is why I thought, well, you know, the kitchen is the most potentially creative area of women's domestic duties or, you know, work rather, you know. And so why did the, the one thing that, you know, is potentially um, satisfying and creative 
and why not? I mean, I think the we're really the, the bedroom would be a more appropriate um, area room in the house to, in, you know, to have a revolution. <laughs> but no, it was the kitchen that they focused on, and or rather, yes, it was seen as a waste of time and the. And as I quote in here, the epitome of um, patriarchal oppression. And, and in fact, but interestingly, interestingly, Simone de Beauvoir, obviously famous for her second book, Second Sex, written in the 1940s, who was very critical of you know, the uh, exploitation of women's domestic labour. Nevertheless, while saying that, uh, I'll just quote, if I may, Few tasks are more like the torture of Sisyphus than housework with its endless repetition. It is tiresome, empty, monotonous as a career. Eating, sleeping, cleaning, the year spread out ahead, grey and identical. The battle against dust and dirt is never won. However, she did, on the subject of cooking, she did say, that the, the cooking was an exception to this. She did concede that the preparation of meals is work more positive in nature, this is quoting, more positive in nature and often more agreeable than cleaning one. And often the bright spot, and going to the market to shop, often the bright spot of the day. And just another bit of a, an elaboration on that, quoting her, she says, with her fire going, woman becomes a sorceress. That's to do with cooking. By simple movement, as in beating eggs or through the magic of fire, she affects the transhumation of substances. Matter becomes food. There is enchantment in these alchemies. There is poetry in making preserves. Cooking is revelation and creation. So she, and, and that was sort of uh, backed up by a well-known, well, I, uh, somebody called Jane Gregson, who's quite a, she's, she died about 30 years ago. She's a very prominent English food writer who herself said, quoting her, intelligent housewives feel it their, du feel it their duty to be bored by the domesticity. A fair reaction to dusting and bed making, perhaps, but not, I think, to cooking. So I think gets so feminists, you know, in their in reje rejecting cooking and saying that women should, I don't know what, just ditch it is something I've examined in one of my chapters and critiqued. I could talk about more about that later, but uh, yes, I don't, oh no, I'll, no, I'll address it a bit more now because I think it is some very interesting stuff. I, I wrote a whole chapter actually on, well, on women's intergenerational food culture, cultures, should I say, and, and uh, that, People, some feminists, some writers now um, now say, like Cairns and Johnson, who are Canadian academics, say that um, that the demeaning of cooking as something to be rejected in the interest of liberation is in fact contrary to a feminist ethic, because, and I'm just reading my quoting myself here, in re in relinquishing this and handing it over to either men and or the food industry. Women hand over one of the few traditional female areas that has the potential for creative satisfaction and a sense of control and authority, and to get and and um, and to to ditch cooking is like throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And um, somebody else called um, a, a 
a uh, philosopher, I think, called Ginestra King, says that, in a sense, they've, women in doing so have given away what little power women as a group have had without receiving an equal share of male power and privilege, however that may be defined. And she, you know, the, and she does sort of, you know, in rejecting things that have uh, a female heritage, such as cooking, and, and letting men, you know, men take it over on an occasional basis, admittedly, and then claiming to be great cooks and all the rest of it, you know, <laughs> which I've got a whole chapter on, by the way. But, um, and also what's interesting is that the kitchen is not a sign of oppression to, to all women, obviously. So for some, it's their one space where they can have, you know, which is their own. And there's a, an, a Mexican-American writer says that how makes the interesting point that it's important to make a distinction between the kitchen as women woman's place, which is seen as, as an, an area of oppression, and women's space, right, which where women are, can actually exercise um, some autonomy and creativity, etc. And um, she talks about the importance of this to working class Mexican American women, who. And who gives an example of one who felt oppressed when she had to share a kitchen with her mother-in-law, but when she got her own, she was able to make it her own and make it, you know, her, her own space. So it doesn't have to be a site of oppression, let's put it that way. It can be an, an area. And and there are many women who do find real pleasure in cooking. And uh, anyway, that's um, there's a lot more I could say about that, but uh, it's also... Yeah, well, just to reject cooking is to reject women's. In fact, it's to. I argue that it's to reject women's pivotal role in their historical role in creating the world's sustainable food systems. Not just cooking, but sustainable food systems. The connection between food production and um, preparing the produce from seasonal production. And this is, as I argue, is the basis of the world's regional cuisines. Civilization itself, in fact, we would have no civilization without it. And yet it's so taken for granted and invisibilized and not acknowledged and when it is, or, or dismissed if it is. And, and, it's and I'm, it's a, you could say my book's almost a clarion call for women and feminists particularly, perhaps, to be take pride in this heritage, this female, this extraordinarily important uh, female intergener intergenerational heritage, and to you know, and to take great pride in it, and not let it be appropriated by you know uh, men really, who, who now sort of claim to be the innovators and with this, you know, special chefs, of course, special chefs, but even home cooks, men who take over the kitchen and all that, or the special occasion cooking, not everyday cooking, of course. But, um, but anyway. I hope that's yes, yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. This is part one of a three-part interview. And thanks yes. very much for coming onto the program today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, great. Um, hope you've enjoyed the program and been given plenty of food for thought. And be sure to stay tuned for Swing and Sway.